thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. The news about a pregnancy can bring a range of different emotions, can't it? Uh, I remember when we let my dad know that we were expecting our first, that William was on the way, and I don't think I'd ever seen him cry before, but he shed tears then. It was a really amazing moment. Uh, He was absolutely over the moon. Uh, When Karen told me that we were expecting again, I was away from home, I was away on a course in Trentham, and I'd been there a while. And I can still remember details like what the weather was like outside the window and who I went and told and how we celebrated. That stuff is seared into my memory. Those memories are as clear to me now as they were on the day that she told me. Uh, But not all pregnancy announcements are full of joy, are they? For the mother and father who have experienced miscarriage, there can be deep sadness, a sense of grief and fear of loss. When a new pregnancy is discovered, that might not be a joyous moment. For those of us who couldn't have children of our own or we've never married, we can be happy for others when we hear the news of a pregnancy, but we can also experience sadness in ourselves. again, a sense of loss, maybe even a hint of jealousy. Not every birth announcement brings with it an overwhelming sense of joy. In the space of two weeks, we're grappling with two announcements about pregnancies. We've got two visits by angels who reveal these pregnancies as part of God working out his salvation plan. Mary and Zechariah, the people who originally received these messages, has around six months between them to process what was going on, but we're going to have to get up to speed a little bit quickly with two and two weeks. As we walk through this passage, we're going to come to grips with angels' announcement to Mary And we'll spend time with the expectant mother in verses 26 to 30. Then we'll consider the unexpected child in verses 31 to 33 and who he really is. And then we'll come to a surprising response in verses 34 to 38. Why don't we pray and ask God to help us as we open this passage. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word and that you speak to us by it. And we pray this morning in the power of your Holy Spirit you would help us to hear this good news to us. Lord, would you please open our hearts and our minds to understand the scriptures better, that we might walk more closely with you. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, then you'll remember the announcement about the birth of John the Baptist, and it came with great expectations right from the beginning. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were going to be John's parents, were devout and righteous. They were from priestly families, and they were a mirror for us of Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament, and that they were a couple that God had kept from having children until they were of riper years. He had done that for a special purpose. In this account that we come to this morning of a different birth, our great expectations are raised again. Firstly in in verse 26, where we see that it's the angel Gabriel who brings this announcement. We know that something big is going to happen. We've already met him before. We know this angel is a messenger of God. So he's going to say something that's worth taking note of. This time, though, 
He hasn't gone to an important place. He hasn't gone to the temple in Jerusalem like he did. He's gone to a rural backwater in Nazareth, a place that nobody even knew where it was. You had to locate it in Galilee, verse 27, for people to understand where it was. It's a little bit like Dovedale or Chertsey or Seddon. People don't know those places unless they see the bigger area. You say it's in Nelson or Tasman or in Marlborough. It gives people somewhere to anchor it. And even more, he goes to a virgin, an engaged young woman, probably in her late teens. Now, we learn that Elizabeth is her cousin, so we know that she's from the family line of Aaron, and her lineage is further enhanced by that of her fiancé, Joseph. He's from the family line of King David. So there are expectations starting to build as we think about this couple. But apart from that, there isn't anything immediately special about this young woman herself. Unlike Zechariah, she isn't performing a priestly task. She's not offering prayers on behalf of the nation of Israel. She's a small and insignificant person. She's a humble young woman in a little rural village that people have to Google to find. Luke contrasts two things. He contrasts the greatness of the setting of the announcement of John the Baptist the prophet who would come and prepare the way for the Messiah, with the simplicity of the announcement about Jesus, the Messiah. The tone of the setting of Jesus' birth matches the tone of his ministry. The great God of heaven sends the gift of salvation to humans in an unadorned package of simplicity. Jesus, the promised Davidic king, who brings life and light to the world, enters into it simply and humbly. Let that sink in. The saviour of the world. The fulfilments of a promise made first in Genesis 3.15 and then enhanced again in Genesis 12.15.17. The one who would undo all that is broken in our world the one who would restore us to a perfect relationship with God by his death and resurrection was going to be brought into the world by an unmarried teenager engaged to a carpenter who lived in a rural backwater, not through a grand, highly qualified expert. I hope that's an encouragement for you. You might be 85 years old. You might have been a small fish all your life. You could be shaky on your feet, forgetful, nodding off in the afternoon. But friend, God can still use you to help make his salvation known. You might be someone with a learning challenge like dyslexia or dyspraxia. But God can use you. You might be living under the weight of mental health challenges, depression or anxiety, daily struggles. Maybe you've got mobility issues or you're increasingly deaf. You're losing your sight. Friends, God can use you. You might be unimportant to the world around you, but God bestows his grace freely and uses very ordinary people to bring about his salvation plans in the world. Not in the same way as Mary. You won't be called to her task. But God will call you to your task of sharing the good news of Jesus with those around you in the way that is appropriate for your gifts, for who he's made you to be. At any age and stage in your life, you can still share the good news of Jesus. 
He doesn't just use grand, highly qualified experts. He uses ordinary, humble people who are unknown to the world around them. What qualified Mary to receive a visit from an angel or to bear the Son of God into this world was not what she was capable of. It wasn't her social status that was about to be destroyed. Her social status was about to be smashed to bits. What qualified Mary was not her wealth or her ability. Mary received the grace of God freely given, undeserved, unmerited. She is a picture of those who receive God's grace on the basis of his kind initiative alone, motivated by his great love for his creation, which he is working to redeem and restore. When God established his covenant with Abraham, which is about to find fulfillment in Mary's child, Jesus, it wasn't because of the righteous things Abraham had done. It was because of God's grace. Christian believer, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, you too are highly favoured by God. You are a recipient of his grace. You're totally undeserving, and you're totally insignificant in the salvation story, just like me. Until you are found out by God's grace, and then you are somebody and you are something. You are adopted into his family through the death of his son in your place, spurred on by his love which was made known in the unfolding of these events that we've read this morning. In that sense, we're all like Mary. We are highly favoured because of God's grace alone. And we will be able to be used in God's plan of bringing the good news of Jesus to the whole world. Mary was undeserving on paper of the great honour that was about to be revealed to her. But she is a recipient of God's unmerited grace. Verses 28 and 30 make it clear. She found favour with God and she is reassured that he is with her, verse 28. Mary is not earning God's favour. But in this unusual visitation, she is receiving God's predetermined blessing and assurance that he is with her. Friends, that is God's mercy and kindness at work. Because she is going to need that reassurance that God is with her. Because the news she's about to hear is going to rock her world. She will bear an unexpected child. In the same way that Gabriel gave specific information about the role in the name of John to Zechariah, he now gives clear information about those things to Mary. Although she's a virgin, she will conceive and give birth to a boy, and she is to name him Jesus. And he will change the world forever. Look at verses 31 to 33. He will be great. He will be the son of the Most High God. He will sit on the throne of David, his ancestor king. He will reign over Jacob's descendants, and his kingdom will never end. Five amazing promises. And all five divine declarations of Gabriel, four of which characterize God alone, are applied expressly to Jesus. He is the promised Davidic king who brings life and light to the world, born as one of us. There is something unthinkable taking place here. We call it the incarnation. The Messiah will not just be an earthly king. The saviour of the world will not just come from the line of King David to restore Israel. He will be the very Son of God, divine and human, intertwined. And he will do far more than Israel had ever hoped. 
He is the long-awaited great Davidic king who will bring them freedom from oppression. And not just the earthly oppression of the Romans who are conquered over them, but the oppression, freedom from the oppression of the prince of this age, of Satan. But far more than that, he will bring them freedom from the oppression of sin and death and separation from God. He will save for all eternity. Through his death in our place, a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world, for your sin and mine, in the most amazing display of God's love, he would offer himself to establish his eternal, never-ending, never-failing kingdom. In his death, the power of death will be displaced and defeated. And the life that Jesus offers is life that will never end. Here we see the two great redemptive offices in Israel, the Messiah and the Son of God, and they are going to converge in Mary's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit in the incarnation of Jesus, who will now finally and fully complete the redemption of Israel. He's going to establish an upside-down, topsy-turvy kingdom, where the last are first, where the outsider is brought in near and welcomed home, where the proud are humble and the humble are raised up, where the unloved are adopted into a new family and made the very children of the living God, and his love is established forever and ever. Don't we take courage from that truth? During this life, we endure many trials and challenges, don't we? We stand up daily to ridicule and mockery for our beliefs in Jesus for our beliefs in things like a virgin birth or a holy God, of sin and judgment and eternal life. People think we're mad for believing those things. It's always been the case for true followers of Jesus that their faith would set them off with the world around them. The way Christians live our lives causes offense to the world around us because we are different. But take courage, friends because of the great truths that you have just heard about who Jesus is. His kingdom will never end, and he will free us from the greatest oppressions of all. This announcement to Mary is not your run-of-the-mill baby announcement, is it? Her child, to be called Jesus, is the promised Davidic king who will bring light and life to the world. That's quite something to get your head around. This birth is going to come with a raft of expectation, but also with turmoil and shame for this young woman, which makes her response even more surprising. Look at verse 34. There's a couple of familiar patterns in both of these pregnancy announcements, first to Zechariah and then to Mary. Uh, the angel Gabriel announced both of the births. The hearer is afraid of the angel in both instances. The angel reassures them both. There is a birth that's promised and a name for the child is given, and the role that the child will fulfill is also described. So we've been set up by Luke here to expect a similar response that Zechariah had, a response of unbelief and then the judgment that comes from it. But it never comes. Her response is a surprise to the reader. Do you remember Zechariah's question after Gabriel said he was going to have this child with his wife? He said, how can I be sure? It's not possible, we're old. He wanted to know whether what the angel was saying was trustworthy. He knew that after a life of infertility and the age of him and his wife, there was no way they were having a baby. Well, Mary knows how babies are made. 
and there's no way she's having a baby. Her question to Gabriel, though, is a different kind of question. It's not a question of doubt. She believes this will take place, but she doesn't understand how. How will this be, since I'm a virgin, verse 34? It's interesting that the Gospel writer Luke, a physician, is at pains to mark Mary's virginity three times, twice in verse 27 and again in verse 34. There is no reason to doubt it. He's done his research. We believe that he was with Mary on the island of Patmos for some time, and you can imagine him asking her, tell me again how this all happened, verifying what he heard. The Holy Spirit, who hovered over the waters at the moment of creation, could fashion a man from dust. He could bring to life a child in an infertile womb like her cousins. And so surely he could bring life into a virgin womb like Mary's. It's not inconsistent with God's creating power. And yet still some of us will say, yeah, right, I don't believe it. I was ordained a deacon here in Nelson uh, 13 years ago today. But I did my curacy in the Diocese of Dunedin. It's a slightly different feel in Dunedin to Nelson. Uh, New clergy and new vicars are often given a senior member of the clergy to walk alongside them and guide them. And as my ministry mentor and I sat down for the first time, we started to size each other up. We started to work out where each other fit in the Anglican Church on our spectrums of churchmanship, how far up the candlestick we were, and along the theological spectrum, were we progressive or conservative? What was this relationship going to look like? And as we sized each other up, he was very quick to tell me that he didn't believe in the miracles of the Bible and was thoroughly unconvinced about the virgin birth. Now, at the end of our time together, we would often pray to God and he would ask for help with our personal problems. He could ask God for a sense of comfort and peace in the week ahead. But I often thought, what could he really expect from a God who faced human limitations and couldn't act in the ways that the scriptures describe? J.I. Packer describes a faith like that as a faith in a pygmy God, a God who is too small and weak to act. That's not the God of the Bible. Our creator and redeemer is the God of the impossible. J.J. Van Oosterzee says, The laws of nature are not chains which the divine legislator has laid upon himself. They are threads which he holds in his hand and he shortens at length or lengthens at will. The Holy Spirit was well able to make this miracle happen inside Mary. He said he would overshadow her in verse 35 and she would be pregnant with the son of the Most High God. Here comes the promised Davidic king who brings life and light into the world in a virgin womb. It sounds impossible to us, but nothing is impossible for God. No word from God will ever fail. For him to bring about new life is no challenge in the power of his Holy Spirit. Mary is not just going to face a challenge around how she will be pregnant. She faced earthly challenges too. The shame that this pregnancy would cause, the personal risk to her and her community is enormous. A pregnancy at this stage risks divorce by Joseph, who knows that he hasn't slept with her. It risks rejection by friends and family, and even death under the Old Testament law. It's not a walk in the park, is it? 
It's not just going down to get nappies and talcum powder and the things that you need to set up home for a new baby. The cost to Mary will be huge, which makes her response even more astounding. Look at verse 38 with me. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary is beyond exemplary in the way that she responds to God's message of grace. Mary had a choice here, and she surrenders herself absolutely to God's will, no matter what it will cost her. Her God is no pygmy God. Her God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. No one in Israel ever responded to God as Mary does. Mary doesn't demand proofs or signs that the impossible can be made possible. She receives God's word in total trust. This Advent season is not just a time for us to look back at the past for the sake of remembering. We look to the past and these events around our Saviour's birth to give us confidence that the same God is active in the world today and that he will keep his promises in the future. So church, in Mary, here is a wonderful model for us of what faith looks like. In all the astounding, unsettling news that Mary encounters in God's salvation plan, she trusts him completely. In the things she doesn't understand about how God is at work to save the world, she believes and responds with perfect obedience as she learns that she will become pregnant and her child will be the Messiah, the Saviour, Jesus. Our role in God's salvation plan will never be the same as Mary's. But our heart responses can. We can trust God as we all work out our humble parts in making the good news of Jesus known. So why don't we pray and ask God to give us hearts like that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing young woman and her tremendous faith in you. Lord, thank you that you bestowed your grace upon her freely, and that even though she was undeserving, her faith response was pleasing to you. Lord, you know that we have fears, like Mary did, of what it means to be someone who's at work sharing the good news of Jesus, a partner in your salvation plan. Would you please, in this Advent season especially, give us confidence and trust and boldness to play our part as you work out the good news and bring many home. Lord, we thank you for your word which cheers and encourages and strengthens us. Write it on our hearts, we pray, in the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory alone. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa 
You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.